Bet MUFC on the Soccer Gambling Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon. Score exclusive perks, content and contests, including our NFL Win Totals contest with a $1,000 prize. Join today at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. We're also brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app to get last-minute tickets at the lowest price guaranteed. Use the promo code SGPN for $20 off. That's the promo code SGPN for $20 off. How are you feeling ahead of the start of the new Premier League season? I'm excited, of course. And there's, there's always, after a lot of preparation... For the manager, starts really uh, in an earlier moment. But for the players, um, six weeks, uh, five weeks, uh, and then yeah, you want to have a proper game, a real game, and uh, the team is ready for it. It was a busy pre-season schedule, which has helped sharpen your fitness. How prepared are you for the new campaign? Oh, we are in a very good level. Uh, when we know that, when we see all the data, we are so much further as last season. Um, so we are in a good place from fitness levels Your first season as our manager was excellent A trophy, Champions League qualification You made Old Trafford a fortress again So what do you think are the main areas to improve for this campaign? Uh, first of all, to keep that foundation and It's um, not um, normal that you have a season like last season Like a fortress We, uh, we remember all the fights we were in And we have to go again and to put the 100% effort in in every game, but also in every training session, and to be ready for the fight. But we are looking forward for the fight. We are so, so excited for the fight. So that's good. You begin with a home match. How happy are you to do so? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, always a pleasure uh, to enter Old Trafford. And uh, that, that is great. But yeah, it doesn't matter if you play home or away. We have to win. And your thoughts on the opponents on Monday Night Wolves? Yeah, as all the opponents in the Premier League, uh, very tough. They also had a very good pre-season as we had. So, yeah, we have to be front foot. Uh, we have to be ready and we uh, have to go 100% in our levels to beat them. And do you think changing their manager just a few days ahead of the new season will affect them at all? Yeah, you know, you, you don't know. It's like the dark room we are now in. <laughs> <laughs> You can't tell. You can't tell, but what it's about, it's about us. Yeah. And I'm never interested in, um, yeah, I respect every opponent. And of course, we know everything from our opponent. But finally, it's there about, it's about us and how we play against this opponent. Does it matter having to wait until Monday night to get going? No, also, I think it's good. Uh, um, but also that you have to take it as it comes. And uh, it will be never be perfect if you play the Friday and you want to, uh, to want to have more days. And when you have Monday and you want, now we are excited, we want to go now. Yeah, you have to take the program as it comes. Absolutely. Uh, and on Monday, if selected, uh, we'll get to see Mount and Anana in competitive action for the first time. How have they settled in? How impressed have you been? I think they are in a good place and it's definitely it's an advantage when you uh, saw as Mason was from the start, first session was there. Uh, Andre came in, uh, we were just in uh, USA, um, 
came into the team and then in the tour so you are so intense you live together and then you know each other very quick so that's a big advantage uh, they are there and we are also pleased that Rasmus Hoyland of course uh, came to us joined in uh, can now uh, learn his teammates uh, the staff around and yeah I think we are in a good place we had a good foundation from last season and now we have to build on and finally what's your message to our fans ahead of the new season I hope the same as last season but even stronger because we want always more and we had a really good fight between fans and team and we want we want to keep that but even better because we want more we want to give the fans enjoyable football we want of course first a winning team and with the right uh, attitude with uh, with a good vibe and spirit in the team and then we hope again that we uh, get that vibe into the stands and back and so we build a great ambience on Old Trafford and all the away games can't wait for Monday good luck thank you you are listening to bet MUFC here on the soccer gambling podcast you can follow the bet MUFC Twitter account at bet MUFC that's at BetMUFC, or rather the uh, BetMUFC X account. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can follow the Sports Gambling Podcast Network as well at the SGP Network. That's at the SGP Network. And finally, you can also follow my other Twitter account. It is at LockBettingX. That's at LockBettingX. If you look at that Twitter account, you will see transparent and tracked handicapping because my spreadsheet is always the pin tweet for the previous month. So you can see all of my P&Ls by following that account. The pin tweet will be the previous month. And after that's taken off from being a pin tweet, you don't have to look all the way down the feed. You can instead just head over to lockbetting.com where all the spreadsheets are posted. Collectively, they make up for 122 months in a row of transparent trap profit. Translated, that means for over a decade, I've been undefeated in sports betting. I haven't had a single losing month. I encourage you to do your research, not just to prove it, but to see the type of bets we do. Not one of these people that do these silly bets like um, five-star maxes, 10-unit maxes even, or 20-unit whales or 25-unit plays of the year. None of that garbage, just sensible bankroll management that has led to 122 months of profit. If you're interested in sign up for the service, have a look on that website or shoot me a DM on the Twitter account I mentioned, at LockBettingX. That's at LockBettingX. Ever since I was a young boy, my dream has been to play for United. Now I see my dream become a reality. So Rasmus Hoyland has arrived 
He was announced during the Lons game or just before the Lons game where Manchester United did not look good in the first half, especially with Unana being caught off his line. But we did turn it on and win 3-1 in the second half. And that does bode well for the new season. That was a lot more of a positive outcome than what we saw in the first 45 minutes. But Hoyland is in, Unana is in, Mount is in, Amrabat is rumoured to be coming in. Players are going out of the door that we no longer need. Looks like Harry Maguire could be on his way. So this does look like a decent window for Manchester United. We are going to elaborate on it further. We're also going to have a look at the Manchester United futures markets, which have changed slightly after the weekend. I did the latest show 24 hours, so I could take a look at Chelsea and Liverpool. This was off the back of Newcastle's impressive performance on Saturday night, where they looked far better than I expected, or maybe Villa looked worse. But essentially, I figured... I would use the extra 24 hours to look at every single team so far to see if my opinion changed about anything. So we are going to have a look at how those outright markets stand before we move on to covering the game against Wolves. Before we do that, let me tell you about game time. Buying tickets to your favourite events shouldn't be stressful, but I can tell you that often it is. Game time is fast and easy when it comes to buying tickets for all sports, music, comedy and theatre near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Now, I can completely relate to this. I was in California in, the, in April and bought tickets via StubHub for night two of WrestleMania and was taking the Uber there and the tickets just weren't coming through and weren't coming through and weren't coming through. And when I went to go and speak to the stadium about it, which is SoFi Stadium, they were not helping at all. We're nothing to do with StubHub. StubHub is nothing to do with us. You have to call them. And uh, they would not pick up the phone. So I actually, in the end, had to get free tickets, which I didn't want to play this card, but I had to get free tickets of one of the wrestlers I use, uh, Rey Mysterio. And he saved my ass one hour into the show. So I was in a foreign country and missed one hour of night two of WrestleMania. And there have been a number of instances. I'm someone who likes to get out with my son and watch sports at least two or three times a month. And game time could be a saviour for someone like me. So get involved with game time. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the GameTime app and create an account and use the promo code SGPN for 20% off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create your account and redeem our code SGPN for 20% off. Download the GameTime app today. Last minute tickets, the lowest price, absolutely guaranteed. Moving on to looking at the Manchester United futures markets. After looking at all of the teams this weekend. My initial take was Man City are who they were meant to be, Man City. Arsenal, they couldn't comfortably see the game out against Nottingham Forest and they couldn't score the killer third goal when they were on top. So it was impressive how they were able to score goals out of nowhere after looking like they were struggling against the Nottingham Forest low block initially. They needed... um, a decent bit of football to open them up for the first goal. And then Bakayo Saka was obviously great for the second. But then Arsenal went back into their shell. They allowed Nottingham Forest to get back into the game. And they actually scored off a counter-attack from an Arsenal corner. And Arsenal are a team who are 2-0 up. 
So there are still major question marks for me about Arsenal. There already were going into the season. I wasn't as convinced as other people about Arsenal being this title contender. Liverpool getting a draw away to Chelsea. I don't think that's a terrible result or start for them. Likewise, it's not a terrible result or start for Chelsea. Neither team starting with a loss. They've now played out seven draws in a row against each other. So I did tip up the draw in that game, which was the reason for that. Newcastle, obviously the standout performers of the weekend, getting that 5-1 win against Aston Villa, against an Aston Villa team <clears throat> who were supposed to be a genuine threat to the top six. Obviously, it's very, very early on and we'll see how things play out for Aston Villa. I do think they'll bounce back from that, but they just got caught. They just got caught chasing the game, defensively poor performance, whilst Newcastle were ruthless. And that doesn't bode well for the rest of the top six or the top four for this season because Newcastle were probably the team that people were looking at and saying, OK, they massively overachieved by being there. Perhaps they'll regress doesn't look like they will and if they don't regress and they do improve even more off the back of the signings then there is no guaranteed way back in for Liverpool or Chelsea or Tottenham and there's no guaranteed place for the teams that were there in the first place that includes Man United and it even includes the great Arsenal that have been tipped up by many people to win the league they could actually finish outside of the top four it's not beyond the realm of possibility that the top four would be the two Manchester clubs, Liverpool and Newcastle, or Chelsea and Newcastle and Arsenal drop out. Arsenal have only been in the Champions League for one season and we're talking about like their regulars that will easily make the top four and uh, should be challenging for the league. I don't see that off the back of making these new signings, two of which in Havertz and David Rea make absolutely no sense to me. So when we look at the outright market at the moment, City have moved to shorter favourites. They're at four to six now off the back of their routine and impressive 3 0 win at Burnley with Haaland just banging in two goals as per usual and then getting uh, into an argument with Pep Guardiola at half time, which is insane. Arsenal hold firm at nine to two. Liverpool moved out there at nine to one. Man United remain at ten to one. Chelsea remain at eighteens. Newcastle have moved in slightly there at 18s now and Tottenham are at 66 to 1. I think that's a big price on United because if we look at last season's table, we will see that Manchester United were not contending for the league because of their away form. Manchester United ended up finishing 14 points behind Manchester City, but had a sorry, 16 points behind Manchester City, but had one of the poorest away records in the entire EPL. If they can improve on that away record this season, they are going to get closer to Manchester City. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt in my mind that Manchester United will do better than eight wins from 19 away games, three draws and a whopping eight defeats with a minus 11 goal difference, conceding 33 goals, six against City, seven against Liverpool which is 13 of them, away from home. That is unacceptable. And Man United will do better than that. And if they can replicate their home form and improve that away form, they will get closer than the 16 points that separated them in Manchester City last season. However, it's replicating that home form that I'm more questionable about. Man United were phenomenal at home last season, although 
still picked up four less points at home than Manchester City. They started with a defeat at home to Brighton and then they were undefeated for the rest of the season, winning 15 of their remaining 18 games, drawing three, ended up only conceding 10 goals away from home, but also only scored 36 compared to City scoring 60 for a plus 26 goal difference. 10 goals away from home was the best defensive record at home by a mile. City and Liverpool were both on 17 goals conceded. Next best was Newcastle, who conceded 14. So Manchester United were considerably the best defence at Old Trafford. I don't know why this doesn't translate to the to the road. I can understand there are obviously going to be some dips away from home. It's always harder to play away from home. The other team are used to the pitch. You have to travel. You have to deal with the away fans. But the difference is huge. It's one of the biggest differences I've seen. It's a huge difference from watching Manchester United home and away. At least it was last season. And that's where we need to massively improve. So that brings me on to the next market. If it is unrealistic to catch Manchester City, is it unrealistic to finish best of the rest, given that we finished third next season? I don't think that it is. I actually look at the Manchester United eleven and think that it's better than Arsenal. I actually look at the squad depth that we've added and think that it's also better than Arsenal. I, I realise that Arsenal did better than us last season and Mikel Arteta has been lauded as the next great um, manager off the back of finishing second last season. But ultimately, he caught Manchester United in transition. He caught Liverpool having a poor season. We saw Chelsea and Tottenham have poor seasons. We saw a Newcastle team who are just building at the moment and are very early in their project, as the managers like to say. Well, the Arsenal project is obviously reaching its heights now where they are expected to challenge regularly and win the title. So in this market to win the league without Manchester City, Arsenal were the clear favourites at 5-4. to four. Liverpool were the second favourites at 5-2 to two, and United are all the way down here at 4-1 to one, with Newcastle at 7-1 to one, and Chelsea at 11-1. to one. I think Man United are a great bet there. I always look at combined 11s because it's the easiest way to explain it. I don't think there's too much separating the managers. You can have your opinion about Ten Hag, but you can also have your opinion about Arteta. You can have your opinion about Jurgen Klopp. I think if I was ranking them one, two and three, I would have Arteta third because last season was his best season. Last season where it was the first time it looked like Arsenal's project was moving in the right direction, but they still blew it at the end. And that's, that's Arteta's job to make sure that doesn't happen. Number two, I would have Ten Hag. He's done a phenomenal job at United last season, off the back of a phenomenal job at Ajax. But historically, Jurgen Klopp has done great everywhere. So you would rank him as the number one manager. But he's not the best supported manager financially by his board. And that's going to be a problem for Liverpool with the lack of squad depth. I still don't know how they're going to manage the whole Europa League situation. Are they just going to get themselves deliberately eliminated for the competition? Are they going to send uh, youth players to it and try to get through and then implement the uh, stronger players in the later stages? I don't know how they're going to juggle that Thursday, Sunday. And I never like teams on a Thursday, Sunday. I almost like the position of Chelsea better, who only have to concentrate on 38 league games. So when you talk about Chelsea's squad depth, they don't need a squad as deep as the rest and they could make a run here for the top four. And of course, Newcastle, they are now dealing with Champions League for the first time in a long time. That would be interesting to see as well. So 
I think things open up here for United. And as I said, when you compare combined 11s, which is probably the easiest way to explain why we're a viable runner for winning the league without City, you'll see that a lot of Man United, uh, Man United players do get the nod. I think um, Alisson is the best goalkeeper among the best of the rest. And after that, you would take Onana, in my opinion. You take Onana over Pope. You take Onana over Ramsdale, given that Ramsdale isn't even the guaranteed number one at Arsenal. You'd also take Onana over Sanchez, who's just signed for Chelsea with Kepa going to Real Madrid. So you would think that Onana would be in most combined 11s, with the exception of Liverpool. When you look at the Manchester United right-back position, I'm happy with the competition between Dallow and Wan-Bissaka. If either one of those two could integrate the attributes of the other, we would have the best right-back in the world. If Dallow could defend like Wan-Bissaka, or Wan-Bissaka could attack like Dallow, that would give us the best right-back in the world. Unfortunately, Wan-Bissaka is still a very good defender and an average attacker, and Dallow is a great attacking fullback and an average defender. So that's the situation that we have at the moment. Many people would argue that um, they would take Trent in that position out of these um, out of these teams. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that because Trent's defending is very poor. I think Dallow and Wambasaka are both better defenders than Trent, even though Wambasaka is clear of Dallow as a defensive player. But um, I think overall you would slightly give the nod to Trent but it's not convincing in any way. As we move to the centre-back positions, Arsenal fans will be shouting out loud for Gabriel and Saliba. Liverpool fans will also think that Van Dijk isn't automatic. Newcastle fans would even say that they would be completely different unless they signed Botman. But for me, the automatic choices in these positions would be Varane and Van Dijk. And that is just about edging Martinez, who I think is the number three here. And you could even make an argument that Varane and Martinez are the best two defenders here, given the way Van Dijk has played over the last couple of seasons since he got injured. But given it is Van Dijk, you would have to go for Van Dijk still, unless he remains as inconsistent as he has been. And then you would have to say Martinez gets the nod in that position. Although arguments can come from everywhere, as I said, there could be an argument for Botman, there could be an argument for Saliba, and the defender that Saliba is going to be, because if he continues on this trajectory, he will be one of the best defenders in the world. And as I said, Newcastle fans will also argue for Botman, and Tottenham fans will turn around and say Christian Romero was picked above Martinez for the Argentina World Cup winning team, so Christian Romero deserves a shout as well. So lots of arguments to be made, but I think Man United come out on top there in the centre-back positions, and um, out of all all of these teams, including Manchester City, Luke Shaw is the best left back in that position. So I believe that Manchester City have done very, very well to bring up youth players, despite the fact that their squad looked like it was going to be short this season. We've seen Palmer step in. We saw Rico Lewis play at left back, but Rico Lewis isn't Luke Shaw and neither are any of the other left backs, even Robertson. So Luke Shaw would be the best left back in that position. As we move to the midfield, we will see when we compare these teams that um, everybody now has managed to build a strong starting eleven in midfield. Arsenal probably will use party as cover for Rice, although I didn't think Rice was going to be playing 
as a CDM. That's not what we were led to believe when he was signed until Arsenal also went in for Havertz, which was a signing that didn't make any sense. But Arsenal would ultimately go for Havertz, Rice and Odegaard. Now, these are three very good players, but can they play together? If Rice is supposed to be this player who now gets forward more, how can he get forward when you're playing with two eights? He's going to have to be a six and he's going to have to be a even more defensive six when he was at West Ham because he had the protection of Soshek. Now he doesn't have that. The defensive responsibilities of protecting his back four lies with Declan Rice. I'm not sure that he's great at that. I don't think he's world-class at that. Whilst I also don't think he's a world-class passer, and I also don't think he's a world-class player at joining in attacks in the box. So I've always said that Rice isn't worth £105 I don't think he's the best holding midfielder out of the bunch here. I think you would still argue that it's uh, Casemiro. I think Rodri's the best holding midfielder in the Premier League and in the world. So we don't put Manchester City in this argument. But outside the best of the rest, when you're looking at Rice, when you're looking at Partey, when you're looking at Liverpool possibly playing uh, McAllister in that position, although I thought he was going to occupy a more attack-minded position, but it looks like they may be utilising Gakpo as that. And this podcast was one of the first people that said, don't be surprised if that front five managed to find four places in the team. That's why Liverpool aren't going in and buying um, as many players as we expected. That's why they're not buying a new right-back because it probably looks like Trent is going to end up there. I did identify the possibility of playing either Luis Diaz or Cody Gakpo in that number 10 position and it looks like it's Gakpo, which looks like McAllister will be a holding player for Liverpool this season. And ultimately, I do think Casemiro is the best out of all those players. When you're looking at the attacking midfield positions, uh, I explained on other episodes of BetMFC, I did not initially understand the signing of Mason Mount, but there has to be a reason why Liverpool and Arsenal wanted to sign him. He's an upgrade on Ericsson because Mason Mount is in the top 2% players in the Premier League for winning the ball back in his own half after his team lose possession. Christian Ericsson was in the bottom 1%. So if Mason Mount has been signed as a pressing player who's going to win the ball back if Man United lose the ball, then the idea is for Man United to be a lot more attacking and have to a lot more possession in the, in the opponent's own third than they did last season. That's an automatic upgrade for United. And although I wouldn't be having Mount in many combined 11s, it's very difficult not to argue that Odegaard and Bruno Fernandes are the best two midfielders here alongside uh, Casemiro as a holder. Liverpool fans would argue immediately for Slobberslai. Uh, Newcastle fans would argue for Tonali, especially after Tonali had such an incredible debut on Saturday. But I think Manchester United players are all in the argument and the best attacking midfielder here of the bunch is quite clearly Bruno Fernandes. Moving on to the forward line, despite the fact Man United have done business here, this is where I still think we're weakest. We still will be over-reliant on Marcus Rashford, who, alongside Bakayo Saka, would probably be two automatic selections here. However, you would probably move Marcus Rashford in as your centre-forward because you'd have to make room for Mo Salah. So these are the best three attackers that the teams have outside of Manchester City. But when you're looking at combined 11s with Liverpool, 
it's going to be two Liverpool players that get in. When you're looking at combined 11s with Arsenal, it's going to be two Arsenal players that come in. Manchester United still need to prove their point with Anthony and Garnacho. Garnacho is very early in his development and it would not surprise me if by next season we are talking about Garnacho as an absolute automatic for these places and maybe even being a better winger than anybody Manchester City have because obviously, as you guys know, in my opinion, Jack Grealish is massively overrated and um, I think the plaudits that he got last season were ridiculous considering that he only contributed five goals as a winger so um, we'll see what happens with Ganacho. but the upside is huge I've uh, just about given up on Jaden Sancho I think there is room for Greenwood to come back and play out wide I think Marcus Rashford would be a lot better in his acquisition out wide but that's all dependent upon how Hoyland ends up uh, landing on his feet as a United player it's going to be three weeks before we find out but as I explained on other podcasts, and I'll talk about it again, the game plan is clear for Manchester United. We are going to be a team now who push higher up the pitch. We are going to be a team who try to sustain possession in the opponent's half, whether it be from signing Mason Mount to win the ball back, whether it be from the uh, defenders pushing up higher so that our goalkeeper can push up higher and play as a sweeper, or whether it be because when teams are sitting back and, um, and making themselves difficult to break down. We have a goalkeeper who can play a 90-yard pass over the top to players who are among the quickest attackers in the Premier League. I'm talking about Garnacho. I'm talking about Rashford. I'm talking about Mason Greenwood if he comes back. I'm talking about Anthony, who, although not as quick as Rashford and Hoyland, still quicker than a lot of defenders in this league. The slowest attacker in our team is Jadon Sancho, who, as I said, doesn't quite fit into the plans now, given that we look like we are going for a pacey attack, which allows us to not only start attacks out of nowhere, but it also allows us to counter-attack against teams when we're under pressure, which I expect us to be when we do travel to places like Anfield and the Etihad and even the Emirates. So I'm happy with the business that we've done. It all makes sense to me. And I think Manchester United are a good bet here in this market to win the league without Manchester City at the price of 4-1. to one. The final market that I'll look at here is the top four. I think it would be disastrous if Man United didn't finish in the top four. The favourites, obviously, are City at 1-20. to Then you have Arsenal at 1-4. to As I said, ludicrous price. You've done it once. Now you're the 1-4 to favourites to be back there again. Liverpool at 1-2. Why? Why are you above United in the market? We finished well ahead of you last season. And um, an indicator of how bad Liverpool's season was is that their fans are wearing and printing up T-shirts that say 7-0 in the back. Yeah, 7-0. It was three points in a season where you ended up in the Europa League. You're playing in the Europa League. We're playing in the Champions League. It doesn't matter if you beat us 1-0, 7-0 or 17-0. But uh, that was how shit Liverpool season was. And uh, Man United are at 4-6, just above Newcastle, who are at 5-4. I think that's a solid bet. That's something that you can solidly invest in. I believe in this manager. I believe that Man United can improve on their away record. And I believe we can do something similar to picking up 15 out of 19 wins at Fortress Old Trafford this season. So United for the top four would be my shoeing bet of the lot at the price of 46 minus 150. Before we close out by talking about the Wolves game... Let me quickly tell you guys about the Sports Gambling Podcast Patreon. 
Sign up for the Patreon to get access to exclusive contests, including the NFL Win Totals contest with a $1,000 first prize. Besides season-long contests, they also have weekly contests just for patrons, plus a monthly SGPN Stories podcast, completely ad-free and full of behind-the-scenes stories from SGPN. There is even a Discord channel just for patrons. Only you can prevent corporate gambling. Do your part and sign up today at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. Moving on to the game against Wolves tomorrow. Man United are the 1-3, to minus 300 favourites to win the game. It's 5-1 to on the draw, and Wolves are the 9-1 to underdogs to pick up a shock win here at Old Trafford. It really, for me, would be the shock win of the weekend. In fact, it could be one of the shock wins of the season if Wolves come to United off the back of their home record last season and pick up a win here at Old Trafford. Wolves have had a horrendous summer. I think Ten Hag spoke about Wolves having a good pre-season, but when you look at them off the pitch, they're an absolute mess. The managers walked out uh, a week before the season kicks off. Lokpategui not backed in the market, and that has resulted in a managerial change, and that's not going to be enough for the new manager, Gary O'Neill, to come in and implement anything that he wants to do with his new team. So he's inherited a team who were the lowest goal scorers last season by a mile, just netting 31 goals. And Man United should not only able to win, not only be able to win this, but they should be able to win this convincingly and with a clean sheet. Man United had the best home defensive record last season, which we spoke about. They conceded 10 goals in their 19 games and kept 11 clean sheets in the process. They also won both league meetings with Wolves last season to nil. It's a rarity for Man United to beat Wolves twice in the Premier League. And I think they can go halfway to emulating that by beating Wolves here at Old Trafford and making a good start on Monday night. I think this could be your routine 2 or 3 nil win. United won this corresponding fixture 2 nil last season. And uh, I think they could win here again with another clean sheet. Wolves lost 18-1 across their six visits to the top six last season. Um, And whilst I don't think that this is going to be exactly the same season that Wolves had last year, you can't say because they scored 31, they'll score 31 again. They've lost key players during the campaign. This is a worse version of Wolves that started last season. And last season's version of Wolves scored 31 goals. Obviously, things improved under Lepetegui. They suddenly went from being a strong relegation to contender to nobody really talking about Wolves going down in the final five, six weeks. So he did a good job. Wolves did manage to grind out results. But it's going to be worrying for Wolves fans that they've scored 31 goals last season. I think they are a good bet at 5-2 plus 250 to go down. And Man United should start with a win and a statement win here in this one. However, Man United have struggled to destroy teams like this when they should. We didn't see United destroying teams 4-5-0 last season, despite the fact we had such a formidable home record. And I'm not suddenly expecting Manchester United to score five or six goals tomorrow either. So my selection for this game is going to be to take Manchester United to win it and to tack on the under four and a half goals. If Man United score five goals 
I'll be quite happy to lose this bet because it would mean that Manchester United are finally clicking as an attack. But I don't see us scoring five. We didn't score five all of last season. We only scored four on three occasions. Once in the AFL Cup against Villa. Once in the Europa League against Betis. And once right at the end of the season against a very disjointed Chelsea. We got ourselves a 4-1 win. Now, if we do manage to score four again here against Wolves, we can still cash this bet as long as we do keep a clean sheet. We would need to win 4-1 for us to lose this bet. So 4-1 for me is the only realistic scoreline where we lose this bet. I don't see us winning 5-0, but you're free to take hedges on either selection if you don't have faith in the selection. But for me, Man United and under four and a half goals was a selection that regularly cashed last season. And I'm happy to make that my first play here for this season. Man United with the under four and a half goals tacked on gets you away from that one to three line and instead gives you Manchester United at eight to 11 here. So Man United and under 4.5 goals is available at eight to 11. So I did say I was going to give you guys a double lock on this show. I said I was going to give you one from the Wolves game and one futures play. The Wolves game is a no-brainer, obviously, based on what I just said. It's Man United and under 4.5 goals. The futures lock is Manchester United to finish in the top four at the price of 4 to 6 minus 150. I'm not going to commit to Man United winning the league without Man City at plus 400, although I would definitely recommend a sprinkle on that selection. There isn't much between the teams. The fact that you can debate between Arsenal, Liverpool and United in terms of, and maybe even Newcastle after watching this weekend, in terms of who is the best of the rest, means that there is significant value here at 4-1. to one. You cannot clearly argue that Arsenal are the second best team in the EPL unless you are an Arsenal fan. Yes, they finished second last season, but there were reasons for that. Liverpool were poor, Newcastle were improving and Man United were a team in transition. I think I'll be very surprised to see Arsenal repeating that season. I quite frankly think that they caught Man City napping, they caught the other teams rebuilding and they missed their chance to win the league. So once again, your second lock here, your futures lock is Man United to finish in the top four at four to six minus 150. That's it for me. Good luck with all your bets as always. And thanks for listening.